Hello, welcome to Inspect, a podcast about web design and development. My name is Ajay and with me as usual is Kay. How's it going, Kay? All good. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, not too bad. Um, do you want to let us know what we're talking about today? Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about um, inspiration. Um, so whether that's design inspiration or, you know, technical coding inspiration. Um, yeah, we're just going to talk about the things that inspire us to create um, you know, our websites and, you know, our, our coding practices and things like that. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah. And, um, so what I've done is, um, for this episode, I mean, it's gonna be a quick fire, um, episode. And what I've done is I've kind of drafted about, uh, five or six questions, which I want to fire at, at you. And, um, what I'll do once I've got your answer, I kind of, you know, I'll just add on, um, my answer to them as well, or my opinions and views. So, um, you know, let's get into it. And um, so I think question number one is obviously going to be, where do you go for your design inspiration? Um, I think most of my design inspiration, as most people, it probably comes from Dribble. Um, I tend to go to Dribble. I used to go to Dribble quite a lot, and I used to post on there as well when I used to do a lot more design work. Um, but I don't do as much these days. So I just jump in every now and then, go to Dribble, and... Uh, I tend to go there when I'm looking for inspiration on this particular thing rather than just to get sort of blanket inspiration across every every sort of type of design. So, for example, if I'm uh, designing like a um, a shopping basket widget or, um, you know, a chat window, then I might just go and dribble and um, I'll just see what the sort of trends are. Um, you know, if people are doing something particularly new or, you know, is, uh, is the trend leaning towards particular colour or a particular sort of, you know, style. And then, um, yeah, I'll normally find two or three examples of something that I like, uh, maybe take some screenshots and um, then it, bring those into Sketch and use those as a bit of a mood board to um, okay. to give me like a starting point. Um, and then I do, the, I do a similar sort of thing uh, on Behance as well. But I think when I'm going on Behance, it's, it's more general browsing because... Um, Obviously, Dribble's just got these like small shots, right? Just small bits of UI without any real context. Whereas Behance is more like case studies about certain projects. So I tend to spend a lot more time on Behance reading over the projects and you know the reason for the choices, and then scrolling through their sort of long posts and and um, seeing how they got to their final, uh, you know, the final output. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in terms of design. Yeah, that's the main main place really is Dribble. Cool, cool. So I don't really use Dribble myself. So the Behance is the one that you've you mentioned there. That's one that I actually do go to. So you know, I, I I'll actually kind of yeah screenshot things from there, and then I'll create like a, a mood board as well. So I do similar kind of thing to you do, but I've never actually used Dribble. I've, I don't know why. I've, I've just never kind of gone that way. Um, but Behance works for me and some of the other um, sites out there that I've been using um, would be like uh, the awards.com website. Um, so award-winning kind of web design and things like that. So I, I look at that quite a lot to um, to pick up um, on trends and, um, you know, various different things. So you've got quite a lot of varying sort of approaches to web design on there. Um, so I do tend to go um, and look at that quite a bit. Um, do you ever look at competitors? Um, so, for example, the agency you're working for, would they have any sort of like direct competitors um, in, in the industry? And would you ever look at, you know, 
their kind of work or case studies or portfolio, things like that? Um, I think we have, we don't really look at competing agency work, but when we get a client, then we will ask the client who their competitors are. Um, and then we'll do our research based on that. So, you know, if we're doing a, a medical client, then we'll go look at other medical websites, for example, um, and just get some trends there. Um, one thing I used to do, I don't do it very very much these days, but um, there was a website called Template Monster where you could you, know, you could buy and download uh, website templates. And they used to have really good categorization of all, all their templates. So if you did have a, a client of a particular industry, you could, you know, you, chances are that Template Monster had that, that industry on their categories. And, um, you know, they used to have... A massive library of of design some of them were a bit basic and a lot of them did look very similar where these just like a color or a font was changed but you know it, it was a quick way to get some quick uh inspiration on um on sites that are in a similar industry when you haven't necessarily got a competitor's site to look at if you know what i mean right okay that's cool yeah i remember ones that i used to use that myself back in the day and I, I think it's kind of evolved now. It's still there. Um, I, I find myself going to um, Theme Forest on Invato. Um, they've got really good categorization on there. And I, and I t- tend to find really, really good looking, um, you know, whether it's like a HTML sort of like, you know, landing page concept or a, or a full website theme. Um, Invato's got some really, really good um, sort of like, you know, off the shelf templates, which I tend to go to and get some ideas from. So, um, I think that's probably the big one now. Um, I do, I do like that one. Do you ever find yourself looking at some of these? Um, I know a while ago we we kind of got ourselves into blockchain, and you know, uh, and all these sort of blockchain style websites were like creeping up everywhere, and they're all following this kind of trend, which is the next thing I want to move on to. Um, but do you ever find yourself looking at these kind of like tech sites, so like Tide, Monzo, and Airbnb? They're kind of like create or invent a new style and all of a sudden everyone's kind of following that kind of trend so whether you've got um you know big and bold sort of like typefaces and bright colors or whether you're going for a minimal kind of approach where there's a lot of white space um i'm finding these kind of cool brands or tech brands very very inspirational for myself and the work that i'm doing for my clients do you find yourself kind of leaning that way at any kind of moment when we're looking at a project or um Yes, yeah, I suppose so. Um, like, like I said, I don't, I don't sort of actively go out looking for them, um, but I do tend to. If I do notice something uh, out in the wild, then I, I, I sometimes might bookmark it for later or uh, take a screenshot um, just to add to like a little library. Um, there was a couple of brands which I used to follow on on Dribble as well because Dribble has. Um, team accounts um i think it was the box.com they had some cool stuff dropbox as well their their team does some a cool like they have a they have a style a particular style i don't really like dropbox's style now but i used to like their sort of previous branding um they used to have uh, an illustrator called ryan putnam on their team and uh, he used to design a lot of their icons and then there was a big trend uh, around that a couple of years ago um the campaign monitor they've got some cool stuff and you know uh, brands like mailchimp um evernote they've, they've all seemed to have these team accounts on dribble where their own designers and ux people and illustrators are all part of that team so although those people are in 
uploading uh, to their own profiles individually, you can see like a bit of a theme between them as well, where obviously they're getting influenced by the brand they work for. Um, yeah, so some there's there's loads of uh, Evernote design is a pretty good one. I, like, I quite like their their style. Um, yeah, I would I would say there's quite a few Facebook designers good as well, and they've got a whole. Um, I think they've got the URL Facebook dot design where you can go and um, sort of view their whole their design guidelines and their style. Yeah, yeah, I'm finding myself. You know, just recently I took a lot of inspiration from the Tide. Uh, the Tide Banking website because uh, I opened a business account with them and their website is just really, really clean, bold, and you know it's really, really nice to look at. And um, when I when I open my account, they send me a nice little uh, package which I recorded on Instagram. I might just share it on this uh, on this podcast as well at some point. We we'll kind of get a link out there or something. But it's really cool how it lends itself to the to its print and packaging and, and things like that. You know, it's just really, really cool. Um, but yeah, I'm finding myself following um, these sort of tech brands and getting a lot of uh, inspiration from them. Um, talking about trends quickly, we're seeing trends to be you know, ever growing in web design. And I remember when Web 2.0 kind of kicked off all those years ago, and you know, you can remember what what that looked like. And and it's kind of evolved now. So you've got you know very um, bootstrappy kind of like look and feel to to websites as well these days. And um, you know, other sort of frameworks that people are using, those styles kind of like push through. Um, so there's not, it's, it's kind of minimal. So they're letting the actual framework do the actual talking and they're doing like a minimal kind of approach to the actual, you know, changes they're making to the actual uh, framework itself. And then you've got influence from like, you know, brands like Apple. We've seen that a, a lot now in apps, native apps and things like that. And, you know, even Android's, um, you know, apps for Android are, are using the Apple kind of styling as well. Um, you've got flat design, which is a major thing. I think last year and the year before, it was pretty pretty big. It still is now, I think. Um, and then I think right now, the one that I've kind of like picked up on is big, bright, and bold. Like, you know, bright colors, massive headings, large typefaces, and things like that. Um, you were talking about trends you know, just, just a little while ago. Now, do you follow these trends, you know, I wouldn't say religiously, but let me put it this way. Like how close do you, do you follow trends uh, or do you find yourself kind of, you know, wanting to start, start your own one and kind of carry on with that or, you know. I, I think it's quite important to follow the trends as well. Um, not, you know, it'd be nice to be a trendsetter, but I think to be a trendsetter, to be a, a trendsetter or trailblazer i suppose or something um you you're going to need a, a platform of exposure so i think it's going to be quite hard for an individual who doesn't have a huge following or doesn't work for a big particular brand uh to do that and uh, a lot of the trends are going to be coming out of these sort of all-star designers or big big design-led firms and companies so you know, it's, it's, it is companies like Dropbox and it is companies like um, Evernote and, uh, like you said, Monzo and Tide, uh, especially in the UK, Monzo, um, who are sort of leading the way with these trends. And you know, I think it's only natural to not not to copy them, but at least just to take inspiration from them. And um, you know, if if when when the world started becoming flat design, it it spread throughout the whole web fairly quick. Um, I remember when you know everything had like angled shadows 
like 45 degree shadows elongated shadows uh that trend came really quick and then it also sort of died off really quick as well so i wouldn't sort of base my whole product on the current trends if i was designing something because trends do obviously come and go pretty quick um you need to sort of pick out the fundamentals and the foundations of of what a trend is really based on uh and then and then use those um you know you know make sure that you're thinking about uh like color theory and typography and and just uh, general like data flow of information on a page rather than oh okay now all my buttons need to have this 10 10 pixel border radius or you know my drop shadow needs to be uh you know a 20 pixel blur that sort of thing's going to definitely come and go um there's a lot more important things to think about than just the visuals uh maybe that's just my developer hat thinking as well um i, th- I think if if you are someone who was a, a primarily a designer, they may they may have a very different opinion. So, oh yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. Like, I, and I come from a design background, so for me, you know, I, I do spend quite a lot of time looking at these, you know, these little details. So, you know, the amount of padding around content within a, a container, a negative space, uh, white space is something I've kind of latched onto recently, and I've picked up a, a lot of that from you know inspiration from these tech websites that I mentioned. Um, clients don't seem to like it though. They, they seem to get a little bit annoyed and start asking questions about the white space. And then they're like, how, how do we fill the white space up? And can we put some images in there or a background image or, you know, things like that. So they don't seem to get the concept behind it. Um, and what I just say to them is that it's just there to help the actual design breathe. It's helped, it's, you know, it helps to lay everything out correctly. And it allows people to see everything nicely. And, you know, the bottom line is, do you want that page to convert? And what I mean by that is if you've got a contact form on there, or if you've got like a um, any kind of call to action or a, a product that needs to be added to the basket, if you're overloading that page with, you know, needless stuff, needless design elements, you're literally just killing that, um, p- that potential of a conversion right there. So, you know, I, I'm an advocate for, you know, a lot of white space and keeping things very, very clean and simple. Um, whereas before I used to be very design heavy design, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, drop shadows everywhere and, you know, all kinds of aesthetical touches to the actual page and things like that. But that's kind of gone now. So, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's all about keeping it clean, keeping it simple. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, if, if it's functional and it, and it works, you know, why go, you know, crazy with the look and feel? Um, that, that's how I feel about it personally. Yeah, I mean the project that I'm working on currently, it's um, we're basically re-platforming this this uh, this form that the company uses. Uh, they they currently have a, a a Windows desktop application, which is uh, like the default Windows, um, like what's the word? Like the yeah the d- default application windows where it has like a grey background with small text fields and all the default styling of the buttons. It's a typical sort of Windows ninety five, Windows two thousand looking application, and um, there's loads and loads of text fields on the screen, and they've got uh, their staff are mainly sort of data, data entry staff where they quickly tab between all these fields and they're they're so used to en- entering this uh, this data quite quickly. And uh, what the company wants to do is just make this this whole application available on the web so that people can uh, people can enter this data on different platforms and you know out in the field when they're on an iPad, for example. Uh, and one of the biggest challenges I've had with this client is 
making their their dense, fairly dense, small form uh, into something that's usable on the web and especially usable on a tablet with touch interface as well. So as you can imagine, because it, it's for touch, everything needs to be a little bit bigger. All the fields are, they've got like a minimum size they need to be for your fingers and, you know, there needs to be... Um, space for like uh, error messages and validation messages and stuff like that so there needs to be a fairly large amount of free space available for all this uh, extra information that's going to be shown and hidden and i just remember like first the first round of designs that i provided for them uh it was completely shot down straight away and it was just like why is everything so big we want everything to fit on one page right and it just took a bit of um took a bit of effort and a bit of explanation that you know, we're, we're talking about a website here. We can't really think of a website as a page. Uh, it's, it's something that scrolls. It's not like a, just a static page. You know, a browser could be completely different size on one, one machine to the next. And then, you know, a different shape on a tablet or a different shape on a mobile. So there was a bit of pushback there. But just like you were saying, you know, with the white space and, uh, you know, having elements of a certain size and spacing and, and so forth, uh, it's so important on the web and it, it's not always quite apparent to the client, you know, what, why it's there. And as long as you can explain that well, and, you know, they did come around in the end and they saw, saw the reason for it. Um, once, you know, the, the actual, uh, prototype was built and the wireframes are starting to be built out. So yeah, that's just something to consider that not everything is always going to be, you know, this fixed size and fixed ratio and, you know, on this one type of screen. and Exactly. You know, th there's, the web can be viewed in so many different ways that you really need to think about all these different scenarios. Yeah, I mean, I've got clients now who have websites that were built a long time ago, and these websites are using a, a 960 width sort of grid, and it looks tiny, you know, on a, on a, on a, on a, well, on a large monitor, but on a, on a size monitor that we're all kind of using now. And it's not responsive either, and it just looks terrible. So as soon as I create like the, the initial design and the concept for it and using full full width design, it blows their mind. And they're, they're kind of like, the first question they ask is, why is all this white space there? You know, Why is it so small? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. You know, what's going on here? You know, where, where's the edges? Where's the, the box that holds the website? <laughs> so, you know, it's about, it's, it, at the same time, it's, it's kind of making them understand how that, kind of works, you know, in a, in a responsive environment as well. And, um, you know, it's a bit, a bit of, um, I don't know what the word is, but, you know, f for me to understand that when, when it was happening, when the, when the, um, when we were moving from, you know, um, 960 fixed width websites to a responsive, to responsive websites, even I couldn't get my head around it. So for me, it was like, a, you know, this liquid kind of, you know, design approach and things like that. It just didn't work for me. I just couldn't get my head around it, but it took a while. And then, you know, now it's kind of like, you know, it's, you fully understand, you know, how it works and, you know, the way, you know, devices display information. So I think it's the same thing for the clients. Once they see the, the different, you know, versions of those landing pages on the actual device, I think it kind of like makes it easier for them as well. Yeah. But yeah, I'm going for it at the moment with a, with a client that had a website that was built like um, late nineties and um, yeah, it's, it's got GIFs on it and it's got flash files on it, which don't even work and it doesn't even work on mobile. So that's going to be an interesting one to work with. Yeah. Um, going forward. Yeah. Um, 
we touched on typography um, as a, a like a major trend right now. Um, for me, I think typography makes or breaks a website. You know, it's so fundamental to get that right um, in this day and age, especially when uh, more and more web browsers are supporting loads of different types of fonts now. We've got Google fonts and all kinds of other libraries, which, you know, have your fonts um, set up on there. Now, I'm, I want to know from you where you go for your typography uh, inspiration. Do you even go anywhere for that? Or do you have a set pairing that you tend to use? Or how do you work with typography? I don't have a set pairing. I um, It depends on the, the application. If it's like a mobile mobile application that I might be designing, then I will try and stick to um, system fonts for for the bulk of the content. Uh, I just find that when you do use a system font, it just gives the user a user a sense of familiarity because they're seeing the same style of text, uh, especially for the body text. Uh, for headings and titles and things like that, maybe you can go for something more custom. But for body text, for paragraphs, uh, I tend to stick to system fonts where I can. Um, in terms of like finding fonts and inspiration, uh, you know, I, I do browse sort of Google fonts every now and then. Um, yeah. I do look for pairings on their specimen pages. They have some pretty good, pretty good pairings. And yeah. um, other than that, I, I get mo I download most of my fonts from uh, Dafont, D A F O N T. Yeah. I think that's, that's where I, I get most it. of them from. Um, I've I've bought a few commercial fonts in the past. But um, they're few and far between. I think most of the free fonts that I've got, you know, the ones that are okay for, for personal and commercial use, they're, they're both pretty good. Um, there's a website called uh, fontsinuse.com, which is pretty good. It's like a, it's a bit like Dribble for fonts, um, but it's uh, it finds like designs out in the wild and uh, tells you what the font is, basically. Um, nice. There's that on Reddit. There's a, uh, a Reddit subreddit called Font Spotting, where people basically take screenshots or uh, you know photos of designs, and and people are just helping out to identify the fonts. And then you know a lot of people do supply links to where you can go and download that font if it's free as well, uh, or find similar free ones. Um, so that's pretty good. I go on there now and then. Um, what the font? Dot com that's pretty good where you can upload your own screenshots and it gives you a rough idea of uh, what the font is but i think fonts in use is probably the probably the one that i would visit the most often if i was just looking for inspiration but generally i, I probably do the same thing that most people do is i will type out the word that i'm looking that you know type out my heading or my you know logo text or whatever and then I'll go to my fonts and I'll select the first one and I'll hit the down arrow and scroll, 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 scroll. <laughs> and, you know, you end yeah. up having this massive collection of like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of fonts and you could be there for, you could be there for an hour, really. Um, exactly. But then yeah. uh, I, I did, Sketch doesn't have this, but when I used to use Photoshop and Illustrator more, they used to have a, an option to style your favorite fonts. So I had a few always, you know, some go-to fonts that I used to always use or, you know, that the brand, the the client that we were, you know, working for at the at the, at the time, their brand font, I used to just favorite, favorite it. So that it's um, accessible quickly. But Sketch doesn't have that. It'd be nice if they did. Yeah, yeah. That's a, such a simple feature. Um, and, you know, I think uh, Sketch should have that by default. 
it's annoying, you know, spending time going through all these fonts. But I've I've started to latch on to uh, a pairing that that um, I've kind of like picked up Montserrat as a, like a, a main title and heading font, um, Montserrat Black. So that's like the boldest you can get, and um, I think Source Sans is called uh, Source Sans Pro for um, like the body uh, content sort of uh, typeface. So I've been using that um, quite a lot in in certain you know certain websites I've been working on, um, and then the clients seem to like it as well. Big bold uh, headings and nice legible uh, clean typeface, which works really well on mobile devices as well. So yeah. Um, Cool. All right. Um, that's the design side of it. Just going into um, more, I think, the coding aspect of it and coding inspiration and, and things like that. Um, so I'll give you an example of the things that I, I tend to do. So when I'm putting a website together and I've, you know, you can't show um, functional elements on a, on a static design, right? So what I tend to do is I, I do a design and let's just say, you know, we've got a homepage and on the homepage you might have things like, um, you know, like a, a carousel or a, an accordion or tabs, things like that. And you can't show that working in a, in a design, but you, know, you could probably show, you know, using um, some prototyping tool or get an example from a website and send that link to the client and they can have a, have a play with it and kind of understand how, an accordion works or how a carousel works. But what I tend to find myself doing is I, I, I kind of get bored with the standard bootstrap style carousels and, you know, the really default kind of things that are out there. And, you know, I tend to find myself going to um, this website I've been using for years, Code Drops. Mm-hmm. And you can go through their blueprints and their playground and find literally thousands and thousands of different um, you know, ways a simple jQuery powered carousel can be implemented. Um, and, you know, you know, using design and, you know, human computer interaction uh, principles to make them even better. So, you know, I use code drops a lot. So what I tend to do is I tend to go on there and just pull an example from there and implement that into the website that I'm actually working on. So you know, that's, that's something that I use and, and, I've, and it works really well. Okay. It takes a bit of time um, because you obviously you've got to, you know, optimize it and get it working correctly. Cause if you take the code as it is and put it into your website, it's not going to work straight away. So there's things that you've got to mess around with before it starts working. So I tend to spend a lot of time doing that with certain things and should then showing the client and then getting their sort of feedback on it. And then when they're okay with that, I kind of implement it into the actual website build, if you like. Is there anything that you use out there? Like, I don't know if you've heard of Code Drops. Yeah, I've been, I've yeah. subscribed to Code Drops um, in my RSS feed um, for years now. Um, it's one of the few sort of, um, what's the word? It's one of the one of the few sort of UI code examples or websites that I've been subscribed to for, for a long, long time. And... Um, yeah, I, I go. I reckon I go on there once a week at least, um, just to go and look at their sort of latest examples. And yeah, they've always got something that's completely out of the box. So it could be it could be something as simple as uh, you know, fifteen twenty different styles of hover states for a button, for example. And some of them are just like 
you know, completely left field where you wouldn't even think to do something like that. Whereas, you know, the others are, are quite simple where, you know, the button might just sort of depress slightly or raise slightly. Um, and then, you know, they've got such a variety and plus they give you all the, obviously the code samples as well on there as well. So yeah, it's a really good, really good site, um, code drops. I use that a lot. Um, I tend to go on Smashing Magazine. Um, again, these are the ones I've sort of subscribed to, the RSS feeds. Uh, uh, CSS Tricks. Uh, I think uh, I probably visit CSS Tricks every couple of weeks, definitely. Um, every time I need to look up Flexbox and CSS Grid, uh, I'm definitely going to go to the CSS Tricks articles because it's always on the... Uh, they've got they've just got it sussed. Um, but then otherwise, I just get sort of inspiration from from GitHub, from CodePen. Uh, yeah. Yeah, a few other sites like that. Um, if I was going to be showing some sort of UI uh, work to a client, I would probably stick with CodePen most of the time. Yeah, it makes it very quick to sort of pull in a library if you want. Um, you know, I like the way that the, the editor works. It's got a lot of the same, same shortcuts as VS Code. Um, so it's quite easy to sort of translate your workflow from your 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 own editor into CodePen. Uh, and then obviously the 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 code pen the final output is embeddable as well, so you can um, you know embed it on a blog or um, just share it. Um, so I use code pen quite a lot. Um, cool. Yeah, I find myself in code pen as well um, when I'm looking at you know certain things that I you know that I'm that I'm looking for. Um, and usually you know um, thankfully there's people out there that have used code pen to create an example. Um, yeah. Um, code, code pens like the it's basically the dribble of code, isn't it? Because dribble has always been this site where people really sort of push the boundaries of what they can design, and you know, like I said earlier on dribble, a lot of the designs are um, they're very sandboxed little UI uh, elements. So they, they might not necessarily be a whole site on there, but you know, you might just have someone who's gone all in on designing this little carousel view, for example. Um, and then you'll get the same sort of thing on CodePen where someone's gone in and just built this one component and they've really thought about everything and, you know, really pushing the boundaries of what you can do with just HTML, CSS and JavaScript, essentially. And um, if you just go to the, you know, the, the homepage of, of CodePen and just look at their top picks uh, or whatever their sort of latest trends are and you just see the ones that are, the you know, the popular posts, the popular pens on there, some of them are amazing and you just think, how are people creating this stuff? How are people even thinking of creating this stuff? Um, but a lot of it is not even practical. I mean, I can't imagine using half the stuff in CodeBen on an actual website. Um, but it's good to, it's a good place to go just to give yourself a, uh, a faith in the industry again and just remind yourself that, you know, there's so much that can be done. So why not try and push the boundary a little bit? Don't just settle for the simple, you know, bootstrap exactly yeah i'm the same you know sometimes i can get lazy and i'm like okay you know forget it we'll just let bootstrap solve my carousel issue or you know my accordion issue we'll just let bootstrap just carry on with it and then what i might do is just style it a little bit better and i'll use the design inspiration that i've picked up from another site and um you know put that into the actual um into my into my design and uh, just to give it a little bit of a yeah that sort of finishing sort of polished look and feel to it to take it away from the you know the default bootstrap kind of look and feel 
because um, I've you know a few websites that I've worked on other designers have picked up on it and said oh that's a bit bootstrappy isn't it <laughs> or someone forgot to change the you know the styling for, for the for the accordion or, or the or the carousel so yeah you know I think you know spending a little bit of time on these sites is uh you know is beneficial and um I think it helps helps us to you know push ourselves as well um you know to create better better things you know when we're working yeah absolutely yeah definitely, definitely. But looking at the coding side of things this was one thing that I, that I always find when, I, when I'm trying to find um, a solution to you know creating a function in JavaScript and you know, I'll Google the question and then you know always tend to find always tend to go to Stack Overflow where someone's asked a similar question and you know someone's actually given well not someone but you've got a group of people who've probably put forward three or four different answers and what you'll find is none of them are the same they all do the same thing one person's code might be 50 lines long whereas the, another person's might only be five you got, you got things like that and then what i tend to do is take the best bits that i can make sense of and then i'll implement that uh, for myself or for a website i'm working on and kind of learn at the same time we've, we've spoken about this before in a previous episode but um what i tend to do with with the uh, things like that and looking at code is trying to find people who explain themselves very well when they write the code so not just putting the code up there and saying look this is it here's an example of how it works here's the code pen for it bang that's it but what i'm trying to find is people explain themselves and then trying to get an understanding of why they've done it that way because it might not be the shortest way to do it but it might very well be the longest way to do it but it still gets you to you know the answer on the solution you want to get to mm-hmm. and asking you because you've probably spent a lot more time doing you know this kind of coding especially when you're working in react and things like that do you find yourself going to certain like individuals maybe that you're following or um certain websites where you, you're taking these examples and you know taking like inspiration from the actual code and the way it's been written and are you taking that into your own coding move, moving forwards? So when you're write, writing this code in the future for, for another project, you're already inspired and you've got that all there now. And then you're basically just pushing out there without having to refer back. So I suppose coding so. inspiration is a weird one. Yeah, I, I suppose, you know, I suppose that is always happening uh, unintentionally. When I'm on Stack Overflow, for example, I I will I will take note of you know which answers have got more responses, more replies, or which ones have got more upvotes. Um, you know, it's sometimes the accepted answer is usually the first answer, um, but the, you know if you just take a bit of time to scroll further down the the list, you you know you might just find a different take on things. Um, yeah, you know sometimes uh, like you said the short the short answers. I find that they maybe overcomplicate things a little bit um, by making them too short, and you know sometimes it's not it's not such a bad thing to to add a few extra lines of code uh, if if it makes it clearer for yourself. 
you know, essentially the com- you know the the computer's going to understand, and and you're going to end end up with the same result. Um, you know, you might save a few bytes here and there, but it needs to be something that you understand as a developer, and something that you can you can explain to someone else after you've written it as well. So, I I'll go for the under the. I'll go for the solution that I understand the most. Yes, yeah, it's the same with me. Like I find myself writing tons of JavaScript to get a simple thing done, and then I think to myself, you know, you know, I'm sure there's a you know an easier way to do to write this code, and then I, then I find it, but but then I don't understand that code. Yeah, I you know I, mean? I worked on a project uh, last year, and um, I got. A little snippet off Stack Overflow, which was basically a, you know, you know when you've got radio buttons, and you've got a radio buttons have an on change event, right? So you can you can detect that by default. But one thing they don't have by default is a deselect event. So when you uh, an on change will always return what you change to, but it completely disregards what you change from. And this project I was working on, we needed to keep a keep a track of what the last selected radio button was so i needed a deselect event and to capture that so uh, anyway i got some someone had figured figured this out and it was on stack overflow uh, so i copied and pasted that into my project and it worked perfect right exactly how i wanted it to work but then a couple of weeks later you know i needed to sort of mit, mit, uh, i needed to refactor my code a little bit and I came across this snippet that I pasted in. And I was like, all right, I know this works, but I don't understand at all why it works. It just works. And then I just sort of spent, you know, an hour or so just just renaming the variables and and just adding some line breaks and stuff like that, just to make it a bit more readable for myself. And, um, you know, when you're renaming variables, as long as you're renaming all instances of them, it doesn't really matter what that variable is called. It, it will still work. And I just got it from something that was like four lines into like seven lines or something like that. It you know it didn't make a massive change, but it looked it looked like a lot more code because of the names of the variables were a lot longer and stuff like that. Right. But for me now, and for anyone who comes after me, it's perfectly clear what that's for. And I've added comments, uh, I've basically documented it. And but what I've done is in the comments I've left a link to the original Stack Overflow answer so if for any reason it stops working in the future then you know there's a reference back to where it was and you could potentially ask the original poster for some help again so i think it's important to do that if you are copying and pasting code from anywhere just just take a few extra minutes to just understand what it's doing and then turn it into your own don't just blindly copy and paste and you end up with code that's that's just sort of hanging on with by a thread yeah, I mean that's that's what I find happening with myself. This website that I'm managing for a client at the moment is it's a number plate builder, and um, the amount of you know JavaScript I've had to you know you know learn and create from scratch, um, and then later refer to and then fully understand it because I've wrote this my way. It's just brilliant. It just makes complete you know sense to me. But if I was to hand you that file, <laughs> you know, you'd probably have a heart attack. Because it's not organized in any certain way. Um, you know, I'm not using any kind of shortcuts for certain things. There's this stuff in there which could be, you know, in one function. But I've gone and repeated a function to do, you know, something else. But you'd probably find a way to, you know, concatenize all of that and make it a lot easier um, and save a lot of, you know, uh, space in the file as well. So, 
but just just looking at that file, I can refer to it, you know, in three months' time, and I'll be able to tell you exactly what each line of code does. And that's because I've kind of like, okay, I picked up the solutions from Stack Overflow and, and other web websites, but what I've done is I've kind of, yeah, played around with it, broke it apart, put it back together again, and rewritten it in my way. And so it makes full, you know, complete sense to me. Um, yeah, man, not sure. It's a coding inspiration. Do you ever look at anyone's code and think, well, go to a website, view source, and think, wow, that's amazing? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know about view source because view source is kind of it breaks down to the same thing in the end, doesn't it? It's just it's just HTML, uh, and you know the way that HTML has got there could be a million different ways. It could have all been hand hand coded. It could have all been computer generated on, on the fly. So. I don't think that's that's necessarily the the way to look at it, but I do um, you know I follow a few people on GitHub and you know I do like looking at some of the stuff that they push out. Um, mm. There's a guy called uh, Matthias Bynes, but no Bynens, Bynens, Matthias Bynens. Okay. Um, yeah, he's got some good repositories and he's you know always releasing like these small little um, little libraries which are useful. Um, there's another guy called Syndosaurus. Um, I think he's uh, most people probably know who he is. Um, again, always pushing out little useful little libraries and stuff like that. Um, what's his name? Adi Osmani. Um, he wrote the book on JavaScript design patterns. Um, and then, yeah, again, he he he, t he tends to tweet a lot, and um, a lot of his tweets because he works he works for the Chrome, somewhere in the Chrome team, and. Um, a lot of his tweets are about performance gains and things like that. So he's one of those people who will find a very streamlined way of doing things, uh, which, you know, looking at it at first glance, it might not be quite obvious what's happening, but, you know, it takes a bit of time to just break things down into, you know, something that you understand. But yeah, take inspiration from them. Um, there's people like Wes Boss. Uh, he's got a bunch of, uh, like, development courses. Um, he's got a course called JavaScript 30, which I've which I've done, which is a free course. And, yeah, um, I did that one as well. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool because he approaches um, fairly sort of beginner to intermediate JavaScript concepts, but in an interesting and enjoyable way rather than your, your typical, you know, hello world sort of, you know, console logging and stuff like that, which is what a lot of people do. So, you know, he lets you build these sort of real world applications. Um, another guy, David Walsh, um, I subscribe to his blog as well. Uh, he posts fairly regularly and, uh, he posts a lot of little tricks, um, like coding tricks and stuff like that, which is pretty good. Um, who else? Uh, Jen Simmons. Um, she's obviously more, more on the sort of CSS side of things. Yeah. Um, I subscribe to... Uh, well, I don't subscribe to her on anything, but just on Twitter um, and on YouTube. She had a channel on YouTube where she was she did this whole series on like layout, um, CSS layout, which was really good. So there's a few people like that who I, I sort of, you know, I watch what they're doing and I I keep an eye on their sort of styles and what they're pushing out. Yeah, I think it's the same because at the end of the day, the code is going to be very, very similar because it's, it's code, isn't it? So, but I think it's the thought process behind it, which you know makes them what what makes them do it that way, and uh, you know, you know, things like that. I think that's that's really important as well. Um, so, you know, I've asked questions to people like that on Twitter as well, and, and it's really interesting. And sometimes they'll just say, 
they just came to me and I've just done it. <laughs> I'm like, wow, okay, that kind of stuff never comes to me. Um, and always tend to pick it up from other other people or other places. Yeah, there's um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, people that I'm following on Twitter actually. A lot of uh, JavaScript um, coders, very very good uh, coders on there. Um, and I'm just picking up a lot of uh, inspiration from these guys, um, especially you know you know how to spend more time on it, um, and you know other sources that I've probably not heard heard of. Um, and then I'll find that these guys are probably on a Slack group or, you know, or, on a Slack channel and um, the sharing code and working on stuff or setting each other like little little tasks and like what designers would normally do, you know, create a logo in 30 seconds or things like that. They're setting little tasks for each other. So that's pretty cool. It's the first time I've actually heard of things like that. So I might just get involved with something like that um, in the future. Yeah, I used to be a member of this uh, Slack team, which has now moved over to Discord. It's uh, it's just called Front End Developers, and um, it's a massive community. It's got it must have thousands of people in it, uh, which is why they moved over to Discord because they they hit their size limit, I think, on Slack. And um, although I don't, I, I'm not very active in there, but if I ever have an issue that I need solving, um, they've they've got like separate channels for for like React, for Angular, for Vue, for CSS, HTML, for example. Um, and I, I've always found that, you know, if you post a question in there, with it, within a couple of hours, you normally got a very good answer, if not the solution. Um, so, yeah, it'd be, I'd like to know about some more uh, Discords or Slack Slack teams where, you know, they're open to the public. And you, do, you don't want them to be too big, but you just want them to be big enough to be useful. Uh, this front-end developers one is quite big. Um, so sometimes there's, there's too much uh, random talk in there. Which you need to sift through, right? The other communities I go to are sort of Spectrum, Spectrum chat. So there's there's quite a few in there. I'm a member of the React one on there. There's um there's one called Front End uh, Cafe, Front End Cafe, which is a which is a good one. Um, I post myself in there sometimes. You know, I've helped answer other people's questions. Might need to get an invite to one of these as well because I'm not in any of these. Uh... Okay, yeah. I mean, the Spectrum is is free to join, so you can just you can just go onto Spectrum chat and then you can search for different communities and just join them. Uh, the front end developers Discord, I could probably send you an invite, but I'm pretty sure it's free to get onto that as well. Um, so I'll find out how to get onto there and put something in the show notes about how to join these. So I, I think you just go to the website and just you know uh, request an invite. Um, so that's pretty good. Um, obviously, we've got the Inspect Slack team as well. So if anyone wants to join that, then uh, get in touch. Get in touch on Twitter, and we can um, tell you how to get into there. Yeah, that'd be pretty um, good. That that needs to grow. I think that one. Yeah, it, uh, I don't know whether we should keep it on Slack or go over to Discord or something else, uh, or even maybe on Spectrum. Um, so maybe if people can get in touch on Twitter, you know, at Inspect FM, and let us know where if you were, if we were to build a community around this podcast, where should we do it? what platform should we use and and it'd be good to just get some people who are interested in the topics that we're talking about and um start a little community of our own and then you know yeah i think i think that's really cool i think we get you know beginners any kind of level like obviously seasoned veterans as well that'd be so cool to have you know like-minded people on on our own little group where we can like talk about these stuff maybe even mentor some of these you know beginners and people who are just getting involved yeah with uh, development that'd be really cool i'd like to do that yeah. okay so that's an action point for everyone listening now if you want to be part of an ex- inspect podcast community of some sort 
get in touch on Twitter at InspectorFM. Let us know what sort of platform you'd prefer to use it on, um, whether that's Slack or Discord or something else uh, that we're not aware of. Then, uh, yeah, let's get something set up and get a community going. Sounds good. Sounds good. I'm all up for that. It's all good. Yeah. In terms of communities, I mean, you know, podcasts, obviously we're a podcast, but I, I listen to a lot of other podcasts for inspiration as well. I think most of my time listening to any form of audio is normally podcasts when I'm commuting, when I'm just relaxing as well. So tech-related ones are Syntax, which is Wes Boss and Scott Talinsky, um, ATP, uh, Accidental Tech Podcast, Accidental Tech Podcast, which is, um, you know, it's not really design or development related. It's more tech and Apple related. But, uh, yeah, it's good inspiration. Um, Shop Talk Show with Chris Coyer and Dave Rupert. Um, there's, um, there's Layout, which is more design focused. Um, and then there's one that I've started listening to recently uh, called HTML All The Things, which um, I think is it's fairly new. They're, they're up to about 40, 50 episodes, I think. And... Um, I relate with that one a bit more. They're a bit, they're a bit more similar to to what our podcast is, where there's two two chaps who work together. They have a, they own a business together, and um, they're just talking about their daily lives and you know the what they experience by doing their you know running their business and that some of the decisions they make. And sometimes they just literally just talk on the podcast as if they're just having a meeting, and it's quite interesting. So what's that one called? HTML all the things. HTML all the things, yeah. right? I'll have to check that one out. So that one's pretty Sounds good. Easy. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Uh, okay. So moving on from that, I think the third thing I want to talk about and just quickly touch on. I don't know how how much it relates to you, but it, it's um, something that's um, you know, that's always on my mind, and it's you know business or you know, business related or you know life related um inspiration so things you can take from people out there who've really done it and kind of you know implement it in your way of thinking and you know whether you know whether that's your you know you know everyday life or you know if you're running a business or you know at work you know how to get through the day um mm -hmm. without stressing out too much so for me, you know, I've just listed these these guys, you know, um, who who I kind of go to for for inspiration, and just just generally kick up the arse really um, to you know get me going again after a, after a really you know hard week. So people like Gary V, um, you know, I love his podcasts. Um, I've just subscribed to his Facebook uh, Messenger automation, <laughs> which is pretty cool. It's annoying, but it is pretty cool because you get like a, an automated message from him every day. And, you know, he kind of helps you to kind of, I know it's not him, but this has all been pre-thought out. And it's a clever way to um, to kind of reach out to your audience as well. So, you know, his kind of talks on, um, you know, just starting and, you know, getting up on your feet and just getting things done and doing things. You know, it's the most simple thing. It could be the most, you know, simplest task, like, you know, doing your bed sheets. <laughs> you know what I mean? You could take something that he's used for turning a, a business uh, into a, you know, a, a multi-million pound, um, you know, enterprise, but you could take that fundamental concept and use it every, everywhere. Um, so Gary Vee's like, you know, he's amazing, especially with his social media, um, uh, talks that he does. He, he, he's got a lot to say. And I think a lot of it, a lot of it is very, very good. And, you know, I think anyone can take a leaf from, uh, 
Gary V's uh, book or, you know, watch his YouTube videos and, um, you know, grab his podcast and, you know, definitely, you know, turn you into a much more positive person, I think. Um, the other ones are TED Talks. I know you've mentioned TED Talks in the past. Um, yeah. I don't have any general kind of people that I've um, watched on there. I think anyone that I've kind of picked up, what I like doing is just randomly picking a TED Talk and I find myself kind of, you know, being pulled into it. Um, yeah, they're very engrossing, aren't they? Because they're, they're fairly short and they're, you know, they're very random. Um, I'm subscribed to the TED Talks Daily podcast and the TED Tech podcast, which is, I think, I think that one's weekly. Um, yeah, so it's constantly just, you know, it's in my podcast, uh, you know, up next playlist. So I'll just get one in there every now and then. And uh, yeah, they're just all sorts of topics. And I, the reason I like TED Talks is um, I like... It's it's not necessarily the topic, but it's the style of presenting that I find inspiring. You know, just just seeing people up on stage and you know just the way they carry themselves um, is impressive to me. Um, in terms of actual inspiration for sort of business related topics and you know life general topics, um, yeah, I listen to the Tim Ferriss show, which is quite a good one. I mean, he talks to a lot of entrepreneurs and and people who are sort of leaders in their industries. And then um, more recently, I subscribed to Seth Godin's podcast, which is called Akimbo, which is, um, it's good. It's just, it's just Seth Godin just talking by himself on a mic and he's just, it's, it's fairly short, about 20 minutes episode. And he just, uh, just has like a, a deep dive. Um, what's it, what's the word I'm looking for when, when you sort of thoughts just keep going, what's it called? Oh, no, you lost me now. Oh, God. <laughs> it is, it's like a, um, like his train of thought just just goes, and he's just talking while he's thinking. It's, it, it doesn't seem like it's scripted. It just seems like he's just, you know, he's got this topic in mind, and he just he's just riffing off whatever comes to mind. Um, so, yeah, so I quite like his podcast. Um, Tech-related, well, industry-related, I suppose, um, Developer T is probably the most sort of business-related podcast. Uh, which is by Jonathan Control, who used to be, who was a previous guest on this podcast as well, which was um, episode 15. And um, I've always liked uh, Jonathan Control and Developer T. He was actually one of the first podcasts I subscribed to, um, if not the first. And um, I've been a listener ever since. And he's been going for quite a few years now, like four or five years. And um, again, he sort of pushes out a podcast, I think, three times a week. And uh, they're normally between 10 and 20 minutes long. Um, you know, just enough to... The, the idea was that it's something that you listen to on your tea break. It's called Developer Tea. Um, and he talks about many soft skills, um, how to sort of carry yourself and how to uh, work with colleagues and clients and how to think uh, like a um, like a senior engineer and stuff like that. It's very very sort of broad range of topics and sometimes there you know he'll talk about something which is completely unrelated to web development but he'll find a little way of tying it in and it's more about attitudes and things like that rather than actual this is how you should write your code that's cool so yeah definitely subscribe to developer t is probably one of the better ones out there mm, yeah i'll jump on that one that sounds really cool yeah yeah okay. i've um i've been looking at uh, just recently entrepreneur.com I, I was following it years ago uh, but just recently, I've kind of, um, I think it's the, the types of uh, inspirational stories they've been putting out there, which have been really grabbing my attention. Um, 
So like you've got this guy on there who's um, launched a, a drinks company, which is taking on the likes of Coca Cola, <laughs> and it's like he's p- produced a drink which is still regarded as a you know a fizzy drink, but it's all it's healthy. You know, it's a healthy alternative to drinking a Coke or a Sprite or a Fanta. But um, you know, again, these are all startup stories. So it's about people who had an idea, and they've just kind of like you know telling their story you know where they kind of started and um yeah so it's pretty cool but um the other two that that i listen to joe rogan and jack ma you probably heard of joe rogan yeah well i've heard of him i've I've never actually listened to his stuff i know he's got a he's got a podcast as well which is kind of at the top of the charts since just forever um but i haven't subscribed to it maybe i should i don't know i need to give it a go yeah, no, he's he's pretty good. Um, and Jack Ma, um, business stuff, he's he's amazing. Um, just some of the stuff he comes out with, just really, you know, just you know, strikes a chord with me. And um, I've been referring to him quite a lot recently. Okay, yeah, well, I'll definitely gonna subscribe to a few of these then and check them out. Get inspired. Hundred percent. I think um, yeah, I think that's um, wrapped up this uh, episode nicely there. Um, anything you want to add? No, just one of the other things that I do um, for inspiration is uh, I, obviously, you know, everyone's got a phone in their pocket with a camera and um, just, just take photos of things. You, know, you see something, some nice design, you see something with inter- interesting colours, um, just snap a photo and, and uh, take it with you or, you know, record a voice memo when inspiration hits because you just never know when it's going to happen, right? And um, there's been times where, you know, I've walked past a building which has got a nice paint on the side and, you know, you just take a photo of it and you can, you know, to get an idea of how colours sort of sit and sit with each other and then you can go and impo- incorporate that into your designs later down, later on down the line. So, yeah, make use of the tool that's in your pocket because it's just brilliant. It is. Uh, that's a nice, nice tip. But uh, one thing I do, I take a little bit, a little bit further, I take a picture... I upload it to well pictures and I upload it to Pinterest to a board and then what happens that board will get shared and pinned by hundreds of other people and it will kind of snowball into you know more and more inspiration going into different kind of avenues and things like yeah, that but yeah. yeah that's that's one way I've definitely become like a a uh, influencer <laughs> which is what we all want to be really don't we yeah 100% yeah, yeah. alright Wicked um, I think let's wrap it up there um, so yeah Remember, you can get in touch with us uh, on Twitter at InspectFM uh, and you can find the show notes for this episode and archive of all previous shows on the website, inspect.fm. Um, and if you want to get in touch with myself, you can find me on Twitter at Ajay Carwell. And if you want to get in touch with Kay on Twitter, you are at WeAreDelve, which has a number three in there. So you're better off just looking at the show notes because he's just got a rubbish Twitter handle. It's <laughs> <laughs> not my fault. Yeah, we are Delphos Taken, right? You need to change your company name. But yeah, anyway, thanks for listening. And uh, remember to um, hit subscribe if you enjoyed the podcast and consider leaving a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. And that would be nice. And uh, that's it. Bye from me. And bye from me. Yeah, that one went on a bit, didn't it? Proper getting into it.